I'm looking forward to this message today, a bit intimidated by it. Uh, it's one of those passages that, you know, if I were to just pick something from the Bible that I feel like preaching on, uh, it's one of those passages that wouldn't be like my, my number one passage to just go to. Uh, it's particularly on the, the issue of divorce and, and marriage and God's design for marriage. I've titled this message, God's Design for Marriage. Yesterday, I was up here at the church and I needed to fix a key on this keyboard that I was going to be playing here this morning because it was sounded like it was about to break. And so I flipped this keyboard over, started unloosing all these screws, and I realized, wait a minute, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, it helps to read the owner's manual. If you're going to do something like that, it helps to, to have an owner's manual. Um, but I don't have time to read the manual for this nice keyboard, uh, just YouTube it, YouTube University. I mean, that's, we're in 2021, and you can find just about anything on YouTube. And so sure enough, I looked up the, the model of this this keyboard and was able to find how to replace the key, how to fix the key. And thankfully, the guy who uh, was doing the video knew what he was talking about. Uh, that's that's one one thing. By the way, uh, if you're getting your information from YouTube, make sure somebody that the video that you're watching is somebody who knows what they're talking about. That they've read the manual or they're familiar with whatever it is they're trying to instruct you in. And sure enough, when we were done uh, with this keyboard, there were some screws left over. So uh, we got some extra screws. Hopefully, I didn't mess this thing up. Uh, it seemed to work just fine this morning. But I share that this morning as a reminder of our need for God's blueprint for our lives. We all face brokenness and troubles and, and things that just get out of whack. We get out of key. We get uh, something's not working right in our life or particularly this morning in a marriage. Over and over again, I'm coming across... Brothers and sisters, not just non-Christians, but, but Christians whose marriage is broken and fallen apart and needs, needs a, a major miracle. Uh, we've seen a number of folks experience this in, in 2020 and, and since I've been a Christian and I've just been baffled by, by how much marriage is under attack and, and how many Christian marriages have foiled. And thankfully, God has given us an owner's manual. He's given us a design for marriage that if we, if we follow that blueprint, if we live according to His blueprint, by His grace, by the power of His Spirit working in our lives, and you, you have two Christian people, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, who are committed to loving and following Jesus, by His grace, we can have marriages that work and marriages that not only survive difficult times, but are, that are thriving and flourishing in a place where our kids are, are growing healthy and, and flourishing. And we can have marriages and families that give more to the community rather than take from the community. You see, marriage is an important part of human society. It's so basic to the fabric of, of a healthy human society. And Satan attacks marriages 
Because it's God's design. He wants to destroy couples and he wants couples to destroy one another and the children to be wounded and damaged through it and society to fall apart because of the unraveling of marriage. And so we're going to look at a passage today where Jesus is traveling and he is tested by some religious leaders who ask him a question, particularly about divorce. Okay, and so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to Mark chapter 10. And if you don't, it's up on the screen. I'm going to pray and we'll dig into this passage. Heavenly Father, we need you. We need your guidance, your light. We need your wisdom and your understanding. Even right now, as we we look at the topic of marriage and your design for marriage, Give us the grace to hear what you have for us and how you want us to view this holy relationship that you've designed. And Lord, I know in a room like this, there are those who have been deeply hurt and broken by divorces, some of their own and some of divorces of others. And God, I pray that you would come and bring healing with your love. That you would bring hope through the gospel. That you would bring clarity, light, and truth. And just shine your light where things are confusing or fuzzy in our minds. And help us to embrace your design, your blueprint for marriage relationships. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright, Mark 10 starting in verse 1. And he left there and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds gathered to him. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, but because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house of the disciple, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So here's our big idea this morning. This is where we're going from the text. God designed marriage to be a lifelong commitment. And union between a man and a woman. And it is to be protected, nurtured, and honored. God designed marriage to be a lifelong commitment and a union between a man and woman. And it is to be protected, nurtured, and honored. If God indeed is the creator, if he is the designer, and he is, 
of the whole world and everyone in it. And he knows what's best for us because he created us and he designed us and he knows how life will work best and how we will flourish as we live here. Then what he teaches us in scripture, the owner's manual, what he teaches us is the way. What he teaches us is the way for us to live and do relationships and view our lives and live our lives in accordance to what he has said. Much pain and destruction occurs when we reject the creator's design and his ways and we lean on our understanding and we think, I know better. And we allow our emotions or our human reasoning to be the dominant Influence in making decisions concerning our relationships. God has designed marriage to be a lifelong commitment in a union between a man and a woman. It is to be protected, nurtured, and honored. Now let's just start with verse 2 where the Pharisees came up to Jesus. And they came up in order to test him. Now you know you're, 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 you're stepping out on a limb. You're not doing too, too good. If you're trying to test Jesus and your intentions are to, to see him stumble because Jesus is perfect. Alright? And if you're trying to test him, he's gonna ace that test. He's gonna answer that, that test well, perfectly because he's flawless. And I love how so often when the religious leaders of his day, when they tried to test him, he, they were silenced. They were silenced. They were put to silence because of his wisdom. Because they're, they're face to face with the God man. They're face to face with God in the flesh. The Messiah. So they try to test him. And they ask him this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Okay. They're, they're asking him a question based on what's permissible. What's permissible? Is it lawful? Is it okay? And perhaps they were, they were hoping that Jesus would answer, that his answer would get him in trouble with Herod. Cause remember, John the Baptist, not far from here, John the Baptist got in trouble for prophetically calling out the adulterous relationship between Herod and, and his sister-in-law that he took to be his wife. And John the Baptist was a straight shooter. He was a prophetic voice and he didn't water down God's standards. He didn't water down God's message even at the risk of his own life, even at the risk of being an outcast and marginalized and being unpopular. John the Baptist wasn't worried about people uh, uh, quieting his voice. He was going to speak the truth regardless of, of what it cost him. And so John the Baptist ended up having his head cut off. Herodias did not like him calling out the adulterous relationship that he and Herod, that she and Herod were living in. And so perhaps Jesus would, would, would align with John the Baptist, his, his near relative, and say something similar that could get him in trouble. Or perhaps he would say something contrary to the popular opinion of the day and that the crowds would stop following him. Or perhaps he would slip up in some way. Well, Jesus responds, and what does he do? He points to Scripture. I love this. He's affirming the authority of Scripture when he says, what did Moses command you? And these guys know the law. They were very familiar with the Old Testament. They knew the Torah. They knew what it said, and they were ready. 
And Jesus, I'm sure, no doubt, expected this response. They said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now again, these guys are, are, are highlighting what's permissible. What, 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 what's allowed? And Jesus points them to God's purpose in marriage. Jesus points them to God's design for marriage. And he addresses the why behind it. These guys are focused on the particular what's. What can we get away with? How far can we go? And Jesus said in verse 5, he said, Because of your hardness of hearts, because of your hardness of hearts, he wrote you this commandment. So he says, basically, this isn't God's design. Divorce isn't God's design for marriage. It's the result of hardness of heart within the marriage covenant. And what causes hardness of heart? Sin. The deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3 tells us, 3, 12 and 13, it says, Beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it's called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin hardens hearts. It causes sclerosis of the heart, the hardening of the arteries of the heart where love no longer flows through into the life of another. There's blockage of the heart. And Jesus says, here's the problem. The issue isn't about whether Moses permitted divorce to to, uh, occur or not. Because God God assumed that this would be a reality in a post-Genesis 3 world. That divorce would just be a reality with when you got two sinners brought together in the closest relationship, living together, uh, finances together, thinking together, uh, everything is together, designed to be together, there's going to be some conflict. He says hardness of heart's the issue. That's, that's the heart of the matter. Jesus always brought it back to the heart. These religious guys were, were focused on the letter of the law. Looking good before people, looking right, and Jesus brought the matter to the heart in doing what's right. Believing what's right. Having a right view of life, of the world, of humanity, of God, of morality, of ethics. So Jesus brought it back to the heart. So the their reasoning is from Deuteronomy chapter 24, and here's what Deuteronomy 24 says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, take note of that phrase there, because he's found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of the house if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts into her hand And sends her out of the house if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife. And then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land 
that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So here we have this, this allowance that Moses wrote about for divorce. Yes, it's true that Moses wrote that. Yes, it's true that the biblical, that there are, there is a biblical allowance or permission for divorce, but that's not God's purpose and design for marriage. Okay? Some of the, the commentaries that I read highlighted how this permission was designed really to protect, to be a, a, a buffer of protection for the wife who is done unjustly and sent away. Uh, for for smaller matters. There were two schools of thought in that time. There were two rabbis who, uh, one was a conservative, who had the conservative train of thought, Shammai, uh, and his view was that the only ground for divorce was adultery. There was another guy, Rabbi Hillel, and he's more in the liberal camp, and his view was that divorce can be granted for any indecency. So according to, to Deuteronomy 24, there's a lot of debate the debate was around that phrase. What does any decency mean? And, and those who were just wanting to look good and keep the letter of the law externally were, were focused on just looking right. They just want to look right on the outside to everybody else. And again, Jesus brings it back to the heart. Some, some, another rabbi even wrote that, that, that a husband can divorce his wife for even burning the food. She cooks a bad meal. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Something that minute, that small, that minor, that, that the husband can just do away with his wife as if she's some property and treat her uh, less than the image of God, a gift from God to do life with, an heir of the grace of life as Peter calls it. And so there, there were these two trains of thought, and it, the, the majority of, of the Jews in Jesus' day went with the liberal view of divorce, that it can be granted for, for any indecency. And so this was an issue. This was an issue in Jesus' day that the religious leaders were treating their wives, that the Jews were treating their wives in such a treacherous, unjust manner, putting them away for minor things. And so Jesus calls him out and he addresses the issue. Um, J.C. Rowell says this, he says, It's very permission to obtain a divorce on light grounds was a standing witness of the hardness and cruelty of people. It was thought better to tolerate such divorces than to have the nation filled with murder, adultery, cruelty, and desertion. So how many, how many murder cases have you seen in the news from a, a, a marriage relationship that just goes south? I know I've seen a great number of them where there's, there's domestic violence, there's conflict and, and, and there's jealousy and there's unfaithfulness and there's this fighting that happens and everyone's getting affected. Everyone's experiencing the carnage of it. Moses assumed that this would be a reality. God assumed this would be a reality, but that's not according to God's design. Here's a little poem that describes the destruction of divorce. The monster is here. The monster's there. The monster's just everywhere. In my milk, in my tea. Doesn't even think of me. Mom's here, dad's there, and I'm just not anywhere. 
How can I say this without any force? The monster is called divorce. This is something that I've grieved with many brothers and sisters about who've walked through the pain of divorce. I can't think of a more painful experience to walk through in life than to to walk through a painful divorce. John Piper says this. He says, death is usually clean pain, but divorce is usually dirty pain. Death is usually clean pain, but divorce is, it's, it's dirty. I mean, it, it's, it's not just physical pain. It's mental, emotional, spiritual. I mean, it, it's, it does violence to the soul, Malachi says. And God says he hates divorce because he's designed marriage to be a good thing that reflects his beauty and his glory. So here's my first point this morning, though I've made several already. God didn't design divorce to be a part of the marriage experience. Okay? God did not design it to be a part of the marriage experience. So when we're doing, when Kendall and I are doing pre-marriage counseling and coaching with young couples, we try to make this clear. Like, this is a permanent thing. Don't be thinking, well, if it, if it doesn't work out, you know, maybe I'll try something else. This is, you're thinking, when you go into marriage, it should be taken seriously and weighty and not flippantly. And so when you, when you, when God has provided somebody for you, you should prayerfully consider whether it's God's will or not. Is this person a believer? Do they love Jesus? Are, are we headed in the same direction? Is this God's will for our relationship, for us to be committed together and have a family together? And it should be taken seriously with prayer, not rushed into foolishly. Or Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, it was not so. It's not like this. Jesus goes back to creation to point to God's blueprint, God's good design, his beautiful design for the marriage relationship. He said at the end of uh, uh, this, this section, verse 11, he said, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And so Jesus seems to to raise the bars. Jesus seems to call out those who are looking for the loophole to put away their wives, the, 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 just to, to have their marriage relationship be dissolvable. Matthew 19 is a parallel passage. And Jesus adds something. There's something that Matthew records that's not in Mark. Jesus said, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And so Jesus seems to give an exception clause here. here, here here's one reason, one biblical reason why a husband or a wife can divorce their spouse. Because their spouse has been unfaithful sexually in the marriage. There's been unfaithfulness. And he says that if that's not the case, if there's not that biblical warrant, that biblical clause to divorce, then the person who divorces is committing adultery. The one who divorces and marries another commits adultery. Now the disciples, they recognized the high standard of what Jesus was calling, the radicalness of what Jesus was calling the, the marital relationship to be. 
And they responded in, in chapter 19. They said, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to be married. I'm just going to stay single. If, if I can't bail out, if things don't work out, and I got to stick with it through hard times, then forget that. Okay, and Jesus said this. He said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those to whom it is given. And he goes into uh, eunuchs and, and the the, uh, the call to uh, singleness. Which, by the way, if you're single, singleness is not a second class status. Okay? If you're married, your spouse is a gift from God and God has blessed you. Enjoy your spouse. Love your spouse. Be faithful to your spouse. Treasure your spouse. Stick with your spouse through thick and thin, through through the good times and the bad times. But... But if you're single, you know what? God is enough for you. And you're not a second class Christian or second class, second class person in society because you're single. Jesus lived his entire adult life, entire life as a single man. Paul lived as a single man. Alright? And it's not, it's not less, it's not less honorable or less no, uh, it's not ungodly, it's, it's, it's not it's not a bad thing to be single. You can use your singleness and all the privileges and all the freedoms that you have to serve Jesus, to love Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, to enjoy relationships. And there's a lot of things you can do as a single person that you can't do as a married person or have as much freedom to do as a married person. And so I want to encourage you, and this is what I've encouraged single people with, and I got to live several years as a single man, Christian Enjoy Jesus. Live on mission for Him. Worship Him. When you're feeling lonely, go witness to somebody. Go share the gospel with somebody. Fellowship with some other Christians. Get in some Bible studies. Make some disciples. Like, it's not good for man to be alone. Right? And and having a, a husband or a wife isn't the only way that God meets that need for relationship. God's given us natural families, but He's also given us the church the community of faith to live in. And there are, there are married people who I've met that are just as much or even more lonely than single people. And if you think that getting married is going to meet some deep, deep need within you that only God ultimately can fulfill, then you're going to be bitterly disappointed when you step into marriage and you're, there's going to be unnecessary stress upon your spouse to be something for you that God didn't create them to be for you. You see, I think marriages work best when you got two people who love Jesus and are in a relationship with Jesus and their cup is getting filled by Jesus each day and they go into the relationship pouring and giving and serving and loving and delighting in one another. And that's where intimacy occurs in the marriage relationship. When you got a husband and a wife that delight in the other and delight in the well-being and the good occurring in the life of their spouse. And you can have, as a single person, you can have close relationships where you're being encouraged and, and you're an encourager, where you're known and you're loved, but... But of course, the marriage relationship is the most intimate earthly relationship that anyone will ever experience here. It's, it's special. And it should be honored. It should be treasured and valued. 
Jesus also in Matthew chapter 5 Verse 31 says, it is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And these are hard words to wrestle with. Okay. All right. Tony Evans said this. The Bible knows nothing of no fault divorce, only major fault divorce. If God's words give you permission to divorce, then you have permission to remarry another Christian. According to Jesus, though, if a divorce is illegitimate, it leads to illegitimate remarriage. To remarry after an unbiblical divorce is to commit adultery. It's the seventh commandment, and Jesus didn't lower the standard on the Ten Commandments. He said if you look to lust after a woman, you commit adultery. Second point is that God designed marriage to be a union between a man and a woman. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. We live in a day where marriage is under attack and the very definition of marriage is being challenged. Where where there are views trying to be pushed on us and on our children that it's acceptable for so-called same-sex marriages. A man and a man and a woman and a woman. But according to God's design, that's not marriage. And that's not right. It's, it goes against God's good design. Marriage is, a, is, is designed to be a union between a man and a woman. And I think we all believe that here. We know that here. And I think as we defend that to those who have deferring views, we want to be gracious and we want to be kind. And I, what, what I'd like to do when I'm having this conversation is just emphasize God's design, the beauty and the goodness of God's design. When we follow God's design, life tends to work out a lot better. But when we go against the grain of His design, things fall apart. Because He knows what's best for us. He knows what we need. And marriage is a, is to be a union between a man and a woman. So God said in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. And He said, I will make, um, for, for mankind, um, a helper who will be suitable for him. And He did. And God brought the very first bride and gave the very first bride away, Eve, to Adam. He, He created her out of this, uh, from the rib of Adam, he put Adam in a deep sleep, created her out of the rib, from the rib of Adam, uh, and brought her to him. And here in Genesis, Jesus is quoting Genesis, he's going back to the scriptures. He's going back to God's original design between a man and a woman, and that being a union. He says that the two shall become one flesh. And they are no longer two, but one. Couples have to shift. When, 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 when a couple gets married, they have to shift from thinking I, me, and my to we and us. Our finances. Our plans. Our direction. You see, marriages tend to struggle, they do struggle, when you got two people still thinking I, me, my. When, when, when it's, when it's a me center, when you got, and that's why, that's why marriage is so hard. Because you got two sinners, selfish people brought together, like stuck together, glued together for life. And it drives some people crazy, right? 
marriage tends to be the most sanctifying relationship if, if of course, we let the Holy Spirit do His sanctifying work in us. Kendall and I tell engaged couples that, that, that marriage works best and flows the smoothest when we're in cooperation with the Holy Spirit as He's trying to chip off and chisel those rusty, crusty, hard areas in our hearts and our lives that need to be chipped off. You see, God wants to use, if you're married, God wants to use your spouse as an instrument of His grace in your life to conform you more into the image of Jesus, i.e. to make you holy. To make you holy. And a lot of people in the marriage relationship, they're just thinking, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. And God is focused on prioritizing the holiness, the Christ-likeness. I just want to be happy. People divorce in the name of, God wants me to be happy. I want to be happy. And I'm not happy. Well, if God's not first, and your spouse isn't second, then you're not going to be happy. You're not going to experience joy if Jesus isn't first and others are second. Joy comes from having Jesus first, others second, and ourselves last. And marriage relationship works best when we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and we allow Him to, to as, as we're united in marriage, as a husband and wife is united in marriage, and they're close together, that they allow the Spirit to convict and weed out those areas that, that bring disunity, those areas that break intimacy, relational and emotional intimacy. Okay? Uh, my wife and I the other day were pulling up weeds in our yard, and we have to do this several times a year. They just come back. We've got lots of rain recently. The weeds just come back, and that means more work. Either we gotta pay somebody to do it, or we gotta train our children to do it, and pay them. <laughs> Or we gotta do it, but somebody has to pull up the weeds that are growing up in our yard, otherwise we're gonna keep getting notifications from the city that we need to address these weeds that are growing up in our yard. We need to kill them. Kendall brought out the spray with the mask on and the goggles and she was killing, killing the weeds in, in our backyard, in our back alley the other day. And that needs to happen in the marriage relationship. There's weeds that pop up. Weeds are those, those plants that are unattended, that, that left, that left unattended will grow up and take over the yard. They will grow up and take over the marriage relationship if you don't tend and care for and nurture and honor and value the marriage relationship. Those weeds will overgrow in your marriage and squeeze out that, that union or separate, bring separation the next thing is that God designed marriage relationship to be a priority above every other earthly relationship. Notice this in verse 7. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Now, mom and dad are like, that's, that's the closest relationship until you get married, right? You got mom and dad who have been with you since birth and even before birth while you were in the womb, right? You got mom and dad close earthly relationships but when 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 a person gets married and when a man or woman gets married there needs to be a shift of priority to the marriage relationship that marriage relationship needs to be priority over every other 
earthly relationship. Many marriages struggle and fall apart because that shift doesn't happen as it's supposed to. Husbands and wives need to prioritize one another. Leave and cleave. Leave and hold fast to his wife. And and here's just a little tip of wisdom. Uh, married folks, be careful what you share and how you share it with your in-laws or your 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 parents. You know, you don't want to you don't want to get your in-laws have have create a secondary offense. You know, and you and your spouse have already worked through the offense and your mom or dad didn't know that y'all worked through it and they're just like, whoa, I can't believe him or I can't believe her. And y- y'all have already moved past it. Be, be aware of that. Be, be mindful of that being an issue. Lastly, God has designed marriage to be a lifelong commitment. Verse 9. So Jesus adds this in. He says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Marriage is God's design and marriage is God's doing. He cements husbands and wives together. He ordains marriage and he approves it and he blesses it. And he says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Let no one break that up. There's too many marriages that look like they've been Brought together by some cheap glue. Let it be strong cement of what God has said. Recognizing that God has brought you together as a husband and a wife. God has blessed and ordained the marriage covenant between you and your wife. And you've stood before God. And you've made vows before God. And you made vows before family and friends that you would be together, that you would love one another, respect one another, walk with one another in sickness and health till death do you part. That's how marriage is designed to be. It's designed to be like the covenant we have with Jesus. Ultimately, it's marriage is designed to display the glory of that covenant the glory of, of that relationship with, with the one who's faithful and loving and consistently there and he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. It's us who tend to be unfaithful. I heard a story about an old couple driving down the street and, and they had been married 30 years plus and, and the wife looked over to the husband and she said, honey, you remember when I used to sit with you right next to you on, in, 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 in the middle of the, the the truck there, as we would drive down the street, and your arm was around me, and it was just so sweet. And he looked over to her, just like a, only like an old man uh, could, and said, "Honey, I haven't ever moved." Like she was, she was over there. She was reminiscing about the good old times, about being next to her hubby, and he hadn't moved. He'd been there the whole time. And that's how it is with God. He's faithful to us. His covenant is faithful. He doesn't break covenant. It's we who've sinned against God. It's we who've broken covenant. It's we who've strayed. It's we who've dishonored His design for marriage. God's designed marriage to be a place where we know and we're known. Where we're loved and we're loved. Where we experience the grace of Jesus. The forgiveness of Jesus through our spouse. And I think couples that, that know and apply the gospel will thrive in their marriage relationships. 
Because the gospel provides us an, an unending resource of grace and love and mercy to be forgiven and to, to give out to your spouse a well that doesn't dry up. Those who cooperate with the Spirit in their marriage relationship will be much more happy and more sanctified. J.C. Rowell says this. He has three three rules here for, for marriages that work. He said, happy are those who in the matter of marriage observe three rules. The first is to marry only in the Lord and after prayer for God's approval and blessing. Okay? Make sure they're a Christian. Don't marry a non-Christian. If you're a Christian, marrying a non-Christian should not even be an option in your mind. Don't don't even toy with that thought. Okay? If, if that brother ain't following Jesus, then, then he ain't for you. If that sister ain't following Jesus, then she ain't for you. All right? Marry only, first only in the Lord after prayer and God's approval and blessing. Second is not to expect too much from their partners and to remember that marriage is after all the union of two sinners, not two angels. I mean, think about that for a second. You know, when, when, when two, when a couple gets married, you got two sinners. Two people with all their, their cultural background, their upbringing, their ways of doing life, their, their ways of chopping a tomato or peeling a potato, their ways of cooking a hamburger, all, all the different ways, the quirks and the different ways that, that we've, we've learned how to do life and, 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 and then all our sinful tendencies and selfish tendencies, the quirky things about us like men leaving the toilet seat, uh, up, you know, anyways, I'm not going to get into all that. So you got two sinners that are brought together and it's opportunity for growth. It's opportunity for grace. It's opportunity to experience the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's an opportunity to display the love and the faithfulness of Jesus to the outside world who looks in. To our children that God has ordained through marriage, God has ordained that children come from that intimate union between a man and a woman. Procreation. This was God's design. Be fruitful and multiply. And studies show that children that have married parents, a, a, a dad and a mom, Children that have a, a dad and a mom, grown up with a dad and a mom, tend to be more emotionally stable, more educationally successful, more relational uh, functional. They tend to be better off in life because this is God's design for children to be brought up in a loving home where mom and dad love each other. And they love them. And there's a, a spilling over a running over of that love and a running over of that faithfulness into their lives. And so don't expect too much of your spouse. Don't expect your spouse to be Jesus for you. They're not your savior. They're not the, the ultimate source of your happiness. If you think your happiness is dependent upon your spouse then you're mistaken and you're going to put unnecessary stress on them and, un and, and you're going to be disillusioned. Ultimately, God 
satisfies our hearts and God gives us what we need. And when we allow him to meet those deepest needs of knowing who we are, experiencing love and acceptance, which God gives us through the marriage relationship, he gives us love and acceptance. But ultimately, when we have that from God, we're able to pour into and not just be a taker in the relationship. We're able to be a giver in the relationship because we're receiving from God and there's just this flow. We're conduits of grace and love and life rather than just sucking our spouses dry and not giving anything in return. The third rule is to strive first and foremost for one another's satisfaction. The more holy married people are, the more holy married people are, the happier they are. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her holy. When Paul was describing the roles of husbands and wives in the marriage relationship in Ephesians chapter 5, he commanded husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. He commanded wives to submit to and respect the leadership of their husband. Paul was pointing to that he was highlighting that marriage points to something so much greater than just your 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 marriage relationship with your husband or wife. It points to the ultimate marriage. Okay, every wedding points to the ultimate wedding, the marriage wedding feast of the Lamb that is to come, the day when Jesus will have his bride as we sang about earlier this morning. Marriage is designed to point to that covenant relationship, to point to that covenant-keeping love that Christ has shown to his church and to that yielded submission that the church and respect and honor that the church is to have for Christ. Marriage is like a dance. And those who enter into it and they just want to do their own thing are going to tend to step on their spouse's toes, bump their heads, bump their knees, and, 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 and cause displeasure and disharmony in the dance. There's been a number of times uh, when my wife and I, Kendall, have been at um, some marriage conference or a marriage event and there was dancing was a part of it. And I love dancing. Like I'm always like trying to get her out on the dance floor. She's not as big on dancing. And so I have to be patient for her. It takes two for the dance of marriage. Okay? And she's not exactly like me. And so I have to yield and I have to have prefer, I have to yield my preferences. I have to be patient. Right? And she has to, to yield up her preferences too. There has to be some give and take. There has to be some communication. There has to be some patience. Otherwise, we're gonna hurt each other's feelings and nobody's gonna do any dancing in the marriage relationship. And that's actually more than once. That's what's, that's what's happened when we've done, um, those, those marriage events. One time particularly, I remember I was all excited, ready to dance and my feelings got hurt because she, she didn't want to dance with me. She wasn't ready. I needed to give her some more time. And then when she was ready, my feelings were hurt. I didn't want to dance. And she was like, come on, let's go. I'm like, let's go home. Right. You know, and it was sad. It was, it was sad that, that I was, I wasn't, being patient and gracious and kind. Marriage requires patience. Marriage requires communication. 
Marriage requires flexibility. I like to say, blessed are the flexible, for they won't get bent out of shape. That's definitely applicable. That's definitely applicable to marriage. Because if it's it's my way or the highway, and you're not flexible, and you're not patient, and you're not gracious with your spouse's failings, because if you're married, you're going to see your spouse's failings and weaknesses and sins more than anybody else. And if you're in a marriage relationship and you're hiding those sinful tendencies from your spouse and you're not known, you're not known fully, then you're missing out on intimacy and trust that could be built. There should be confession and repentance when God highlights that brokenness and sinfulness in us in the marriage relationship. Husbands that are hiding what they're looking at on the screens need to come to the light and tell their spouses, their wives, and pray together. Wives that, that are hiding relationships that are questionable and engaged with other men emotionally, they need, to, they need to talk to their spouse about those issues. There needs to be open communication so there can be trust built. We should guard our marriage relationships diligently. I gotta be careful because we got kids in here, so I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying to keep it P, PG. So let me close here before I go rated R on us here. Oh, these guys are ready for that. You know that there are some rated R scenes in the Bible too. But we're not gonna highlight those this morning. So, a couple points of application. Reject unbiblical views of marriage. Reject unbiblical views of marriage and divorce and honor the biblical view of marriage. Let, let what scripture say, says carry the weight. Not what culture says. Not what we emotionally feel is right. Okay? Let, let's be biblical, not just emotional. Uh, and again, let me just say this. Jesus, Jesus was talking to some religious leaders who were trying to test him. Right, And he was straight shooting with them and, and his disciples who were asking him questions about divorce and remarriage. And so he was straight shooting with them. I think when we're, when we're walking with people who've been deeply wounded through broken marriage relationships, we need to be mindful of that hurt and that pain and gentle and kind and gracious and patient, but not compromise the truth of what Scripture calls us to. Guard your heart against an offense Guard your heart against an offense against your spouse. Guard your heart against bitterness towards your spouse. Okay? Offense and bitterness can so easily creep in. And remember, Jesus said that the heart of the matter is, when it comes to divorce, is the hardness of your heart. Because one of your hearts has been hardened and you're not tender towards your spouse any longer. You're not tender-hearted and gracious and forgiving and patient and loving with your spouse like Jesus has been with you. You're not treating your spouse like Jesus has treated you, treating you better than you deserve. And when we see the grace that we get from Jesus, the mercy and the love, and we receive and experience the grace that we get from Jesus through the gospel... It should lead us to, to give that same grace and that mercy and love out to others who are undeserving as well, including our spouses when they, when they seem to least deserve our kindness. Remember that Jesus has been kind towards you. Bitterness ruins marriages. Paul tells husbands, he says, husbands do not be bitter towards your wives. 
Do not be bitter towards your wives. Husbands in their worst moments tend to be bitter and harsh. He says, don't be harsh towards your wives. They tend to be harsh towards their wives rather than patient, kind, and loving. Paul tells wives to be submissive to the leadership of their husbands. Wives in their worst moments tend to dishonor and disrespect and try to overrule the authority and the leadership of their husbands in the relationship. And if we're going to dance well in marriage, we need to know our roles and God's design. We need to communicate. We need to forgive. We need to apply the gospel. View your spouse as a gift from God to be loved and respected and delighted in. Avoid viewing your spouse as somebody that you just tolerate. Or just a roommate when you're passing like ships passing in the night and, and you're not connecting. Invest in your marriage. Invest time in your marriage and, and, and recognize that God's given you that man or that woman to you as a gift. They're a treasure. And together, your partners, your heirs together of the grace of life, you get to enjoy life together. It's so much better. It's so much better when you're looking at El Capitan, the mountain in Yosemite, as my wife and I did this last week. And it's not just me and all of the greatness of this cliff, this mountain that somebody climbed free without a rope, by the way. And it's not just me staring at it and all that God created this huge mountain, but me and my wife together get to express delight and wonder and God who created it and the beauty of the view. By the way, in your mountaintop, your mountaintop experiences that God graciously gives you in life are designed to give you perspective when you go back down into the valley. And it's time to wash dishes. It's time to change dirty diapers. It's time to sit with your loved one through sickness and coughing and through the ER and through sleepless nights. When, when God graciously gives us those mountaintop experiences and we're able to see life as it should be or we think it should be and the beauty of it, be reminded of how good God is and how good life is and how good marriage is, keep the perspective. Keep that perspective when you're down in the valleys because we live our lives down in the valley most of the time, right? Day to day, mundane, nine to five. There's, there's so much just, just non-glamorous aspects of our day to day lives. But we can enjoy it much more when we keep that mountaintop perspective that God has given us of His greatness, of His goodness. Lastly, uh, aim to serve and please your spouse. Paul exhorts in this. Paul has some things to say about divorce and remarriage uh, in 1 Corinthians 7. You can check that out uh, for some more details. But one of the things that Paul says is that, that husbands and wives ought to please each other. Like aim to please your spouse. And I think as we do that, as we delight in and aim to please our spouses, we're going to experience greater intimacy, greater joy, in the marriage relationship and we'll tend to focus less on the faults. If we're a fault-finding husband or wife and we're only looking at the flaws and the negatives in our spouse and we're vocalizing that or we're expressing that through our body language, the marriage relationship's going to deteriorate. 
Because we all have flaws and we all have brokenness. And, and the beauty of our relation, one of the, the beautiful things of our relationship with God is that God knows us in all our flaws and our brokenness. We're more flawed and sinful than we could ever imagine. Yet simultaneously, we're more loved and accepted than we could ever hope in. Amen? So I'd like to leave just a little bit of space for prayer as Brian leads us in a song. If you would just join me, I'd like to just say a prayer, end and sing a prayer for marriages here. If you're in a marriage that's struggling, would you join in praying for your marriage and your spouse? Ask the Lord to search your heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beautiful design that you've created in the marriage relationship. And God, we just contend now in prayer again for marriages here and those that we know that are experiencing their marriage on the rocks. We pray that the marriages here, God, would be built on the rock that we'd build our lives upon you that we would live our lives in your love for one another and we would let nothing bring division amongst us that we would apply the gospel to these broken areas of our life Lord bring healing Bring hope, bring freedom, and bring joy. And may we flourish in our families and marriage relationships. In Christ's name we pray.